Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 31. Hear the word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and now Jesus is headed to the cross. Along the way, he's showing and teaching his disciples and us about what it means to follow him and to live into his vision of the good life, the kingdom he's bringing. Remember, it's paradoxical and it's unexpected. Jesus is the Messiah the disciples were waiting for, but not the one they expected. The kingdom Jesus brings is all about the humble being exalted, the empty being filled, the last being first, the lowly being lifted up. Really, his kingdom is about the dead being raised. Jesus shows us that his kingdom goes to the low and the last, the least, the lost. And so our passage opens with Jesus telling his disciples that the kingdom belongs to little kids, to children. It's for people who don't come with a long list of accomplishments in their back pocket, but who simply come messy and needy. But then right after this, we encounter another character. Ostensibly, this guy has it all. We learn from Mark that he had great possessions. 
Luke, in his gospel, adds that he's a ruler. So he's not just rich, but extremely rich. This is a person with great power and status. He has the very things we so often think will satisfy us. Wealth, status, money, power. Not only that, but this is a decent human being, an ethical and moral man. When Jesus ticks off a list of some of um, the Old Testament commandments, this guy responds by saying, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, when I hear that, I raise an eyebrow, but Jesus just accepts it. He doesn't say, no, you haven't. He takes the man at his word. Jesus goes with it. This is a man who has obeyed God's law, including the part about not stealing and not defrauding, which is significant because scripture highlights the fact that wealthy people often become wealthy by oppressing the poor, by defrauding the poor, stealing from the poor. People often come to their wealth by unjust means, but not this guy. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't defrauded. The implication is that he came into his wealth honestly by inheritance or hard work or some combination of the two. So this is a decent guy. We'd probably like him. We'd want to be his friend. He's got it all. And yet he doesn't have it all. He has all the good things this world can offer, but he knows something's missing. He has a sense that all of his accomplishments and all his wealth and all his obedience isn't enough. On a deep level, he is dissatisfied. He's longing for something more. And I wonder if you know the feeling. That deep, unsettling, spiritual kind of hunger for something that nothing in this world can seem to satisfy. C.S. Lewis has a really interesting argument in his essay called The Weight of Glory, where he basically says that desires are usually a good indication that something is out there that can satisfy the desire. For example, being hungry might not guarantee that we're going to be fed, but it's a good indication that food exists. It'd be really weird to live in a world where we experience physical hunger without any such thing as food. Well, Lewis says our spiritual hunger is a good indication that there's a God who can satisfy it. Here's what he writes in The Weight of Glory. Quote, Our longing to be reunited with something or someone in the universe from whom we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits, and also the healing of that old ache. Close quote. See, the old ache, um, the spiritual hunger pangs, that's what this guy is experiencing. He's longing to be in. He wants to be welcomed and received. One way scripture talks about this is the kingdom of God. <laughs> uh, that's what this man wants. Another way scripture talks about it is with the language about eternal life, like real life, true life. That's what this guy is after. So he approaches Jesus and he basically says, how do I get it? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I satisfy this deep longing within me? What can I do to satisfy the hunger of my soul? How can I really live? He has everything except the most important thing. With all his wealth and power and influence, 
he's still discontent and unsatisfied. His desire is for something eternal, lasting. He wants to be welcomed in to the heart of things. Let's look at Jesus' response. He basically says, keep the commandments. Interestingly, though, all the commandments that Jesus mentions are commandments that focus on how we relate to other people. He doesn't include the commandments about loving God, about keeping God first. Well, the man says, yeah, I've kept all of those since I was young. And then we get to the climax of the story in verses 21 and 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, this is heartbreaking. Uh, The man has come asking for eternal life And Jesus is offering the man exactly what he asked for. He's telling him how his deepest desire can be satisfied. He's giving him nothing less than the secret to the meaning of life. And what is it? What is Jesus offering? Himself. He's basically saying, if you want your deepest desire satisfied, come follow me. But there's a cost. There's a demand. Jesus isn't offering himself on top of what the man already has and has come to consider his life. He's offering himself as a replacement. He's saying, I'm offering you real life, but first you have to lose your old one. I'm offering true riches, but the others have to go. He says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now remember, Jesus has just said that his kingdom belongs to the small. It goes to children. It goes to the ones who have nothing but need. The children come to Jesus with nothing and they receive everything. This man comes to Jesus with everything. And Jesus says, the one thing you lack is need. Jesus is offering the man true life, but not as an addition, not as a supplement, as an exchange. He's saying, Lose your life and you will find it. Give away all your riches and you'll have the one true treasure. Jesus says, come follow me. The man can't do it. He hangs his head in sadness and walks away from the only one who can satisfy the deep longing of his soul. At this point, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There are two different temptations for us when we hear this. The first is to think that Jesus didn't really mean it. Some people have argued that instead of camel, Jesus must have said rope because there's only a letter's difference between the two words in Aramaic. Others have said maybe the eye of the needle was the name for a tiny gate in the city wall of Jerusalem. It'd be really difficult for a camel to make it through, but not impossible. But no, (laughs) Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
and for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The point is, it's not possible. It's impossible. And you see, we want to think it's possible. We want to take it as a good challenge. Difficult, maybe, but doable. Well, the second temptation is to think, okay, fine, he said it. So it's a really good thing I'm not rich. This is about other people, not about me. But I don't think the story will let us do that, and here's why. Look at how the disciples respond. They don't say, yeah, that's right, all you rich people. Did you hear that? Good luck trying to get into God's kingdom. No, instead, they're exceedingly astonished. And they say, if this guy can't be saved, who can be? If this guy can't enter the kingdom, who can? See, why do they respond like that? What do they see in what Jesus says that is so unsettling? I think it's this. Jesus is showing them and us that even while this man is obeying God's law in many important ways, he's breaking God's law in the most important way. He's keeping many of the commandments, but he's breaking the first one. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. See, this guy's possessions have come to occupy a place in his life that only God should occupy. His wealth is his idol. It's the false God for which he lives. He knows it can't ultimately satisfy him, but he can't give it up. This man is presented with the opportunity to give his life to the one true God, and he turns back for his idols. His possessions are more precious to him than knowing and following Jesus. When he comes to Jesus, it's like he's hoping that Jesus will give him some moral feat of strength to accomplish. You can see it even in how he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he wants to be a winner. He's already accomplished a lot and he's pretty sure he could do more. He likes a good challenge. But Jesus wants to get this guy in touch with his profound neediness. He's saying, you're too big. You've got to go small. And this guy can't do it. Or he won't do it. And so when he's face to face with the giver of abundant life, he cannot follow. And you see, this is unsettling regardless of our economic status because anyone can break the first commandment. You don't have to be rich for your heart to wrap itself around the wrong things. And the implication here is that this alone is enough to exclude a person from God's kingdom. I wonder what is your heart wrapped around? What or who are you living your life for? If Jesus asked you to do what he asked this man to do, would you do it? Could you do it? Now, do you see that Jesus is asking you to do what he asked this man to do? Maybe not in the particulars, but in principle. His demand on your life is the same. If you want true life, real life, eternal life, forsake your idols, turn from them, leave them behind, follow Jesus.
Jesus' encounter with this man, it exposes the danger of idolatry in our lives. It also shows us the danger of wealth in particular. You see, on one hand, Jesus is showing us that it's possible for rich people, excuse me, that it's impossible for rich people to enter God's kingdom because it's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom. I mean, who can be saved? With man, it is impossible. Like, this just absolutely won't be something you accomplish. As far as we're concerned, as far as it depends on our own record and performance and ability to live a really good life, salvation just isn't a possibility. I wonder if you've come to terms with that. You will not save yourself. And at the same time, Jesus is showing us that it is especially impossible for wealthy people to enter God's kingdom. Wealth presents a very unique and particular danger. Americans don't like to hear this, do we? I just don't know how else to make sense of what Jesus is saying. Wealth poses an extreme danger to discipleship. Why? Why is money such a danger? Because money helps us get our idols, right? Very rarely is money itself an idol. Most of us aren't super interested in coins and $100 bills for their own sake. We want money because it helps us get what we really want. Power, admiration, comfort, security, entertainment, influence. See, the more money you have, the more access you have to your potential idols. And the more money we have, the harder it is for us to feel our neediness. The easier it is for us to cover it up, to lose touch with it. Usually, the richer we get, the less childlike we get. The more wealth we have, the more likely we are to come to God as rich rulers rather than helpless children. So let's ask the question the disciples ask. What hope is there for us? If that rich guy who lived such a good life and obeyed God's law so well can't be saved, how can we? Well, Jesus welcomes little children. The rich young ruler had everything, influence, power, prestige, privilege, wealth. He could easily trust in himself, but God's kingdom, Jesus says, belongs to those who are like children, weak, helpless, those who are without any claim or merit of their own. The kingdom belongs to those who come empty-handed and who are eager to receive from Jesus. Now, If that were the end of the story, it wouldn't be much help because chances are you're more like the rich ruler than you are like a child. Your heart easily gets wrapped up around the wrong things and you might not even know how to begin loosening your hold on those things. And so I'm thankful for verse 27 where Jesus says that that, that what is impossible with us is possible with God. With God, there is a way to receive the kingdom like a child. It happens as God changes our attitudes about ourselves. It happens as he leads us into the truth of humility. It happens as we see with more and more clarity the depths of our poverty and helplessness and cease from our striving. What can I do to inherit eternal life? What can you do? Wrong question. See, you can't do anything. It's impossible. 
I wonder what would have happened if after Jesus had told the man to go sell all his possessions and to give to the poor, the man had said, Jesus, I'm not sure that I can do that. I don't know how to do that. Jesus, I need your help. What if right then and there the man began to relate to Jesus as a child, as someone who had real needs? My guess is that Jesus would have helped him. See, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to save myself? With us, it is impossible. We can't do it, but God can do it. And family, God has done it. And if you doubt that, Remember this table we come to. Here at the table is a rich ruler who gladly gives all he has to the poor. Here is one, maybe the only one, who isn't afraid to become small. He humbles himself, even to the point of death. And he does it for you. He sees us in our neediness and he becomes poor so that we can have him. Every time we come to this table, we have an opportunity to receive the kingdom as children. There's an invitation here to get real about who we are, people who are incapable of accomplishing our salvation, people who cannot achieve it. There's an invitation to get in touch with our spiritual hunger and then to see that we absolutely cannot be the ones to feed ourselves. But the one we want is here. And he's not stingy with his grace, which means he's not stingy with his life and death and resurrection. He offers it all to you and me. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.